At the National Security Agency, no cybersecurity incident goes undealt with. Much of the responsibility for inbound threats falls to the operations directorate. I spoke with operations director John Darby, a veteran NSA Sleuth, about what goes on in his section and how it shares information. No matter who the cyber adversary, whether it's a nation-state, powerful, sophisticated nation-state, or some um, some person sitting in their parents' basement wanting to wreak havoc or hack into a, a network, that uh, no matter who it is, there's always a, a process that is followed no matter what. That nation-state or that individual plans or decides or expresses intentions to do something, um, that entity then acquires or develops a particular capability. Um, they test it. They'll fire it out over the Internet um, and to an intended victim. And then there's some uh, transactions back and forth on, in that uh, electronic space. So it doesn't matter, they say, who the originator, who the adversary is. Everybody follows basically those steps. And our job um, as a uh, at the National Security Agency is to discover what's going on in that space, inform others about what we see, and then where we can act ourselves, defend our networks, and, and inform others how to defend their networks. So that applies across the board. That's at the high level kind of the description of how I'd um, describe our uh, our role. And in terms of discovering what's in that space, we want to learn about the adversary. Um, we want to learn about the infrastructure, how it's being used. We want to learn about the capability, how that particular adversary is, is doing what they want to do. And ultimately, we'll, we would like to know um, who that intended victim is so that we could get the word to that victim to protect themselves. Now, something you said caught my ear. You said in that process that the bad people follow, whether they're in the basement or they're a sophisticated nation state, and I guess you could be in Al-Qaeda and still be in your parents' basement. You said that they first sure. announce what their intention is. It's not you know, a public announcement. It's somebody, you know, I can have a, I can decide on my own to do something. I may be communicating or sell, tell someone else or, or um it's not a public announcement of intentions. It's more that we can derive um, what their intentions are from what they may be saying or doing. Right. So I imagine then that the best route to protecting against that is to know as early in that process as possible before they actually launch Absolutely. something. Absolutely. And the phrase we use is we want to get left of boom. And as uh, early in the process as we can determine what somebody's intentions are, the more time we have to protect ourselves. And what are some of the ways of getting left of boom to the extent you can describe them for the NSA? Well, I guess in, in the in the area of, let's say, the nation-state adversaries that we know have um, cyber capabilities and, and use them um, against the interests of the United States and our allies, we are continually searching for um, information, you know, through our classified sources to determine, you know, who they are, what their intentions are, and how they would like to uh, carry out their activities. So some group could be saying something, you know, death to America, or we want to do this or that, and they may not be saying we're going to do a cyber attack, but that public information or that information you get one way or another could be a clue that 
this could include a cyber component to what their intentions are. Sure, sure. And that's in terms of deriving an entity's intentions. It's not purely from classified methods. Methods. There's, there's information out in uh, open source material that provide clues into what a particular adversary may be intending to do. A lot of times they're hiding in plain sight, in other words. Sure. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with John Darby, Director of Operations at the National Security Agency. And at the second phase, when they acquire capability in the cyber realm, are there ways of knowing who is going after what particular assets? Because a lot of these things are stored in vaults on the dark web. There are whole sites that sell and trade in cyber attack weapons. Do you have a way of, or is it possible to know what, where the activity at places like that is coming from? Well, it gets to kind of again the um, what we call the what we call internally here the the diamond model, understanding not only the adversary but the capabilities that adversary may use, the infrastructure they may use to uh, carry out their attacks from, and then the intended victim. All four of those aspects are important to understand. So. I, if I understand what your question was, if I recall correctly, it's really you know, about the capabilities, how they may be uh, um, acquiring and uh, launching capabilities against uh, our interests. Yeah. For example, if you watch the tomato department in the grocery store and some suspicious-looking people were buying all the tomatoes, you might figure they're going to throw them at somebody. Is that type of sure. operation, that type of model work in the cyber world? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair comparison. Um, we are tracking the, the activities of some of these folks that we entities that we suspect are the highest risk um, to our to our national security systems. And knowing what or having an idea at least of what types of capabilities they're acquiring then will help you again at that third stage, the boom stage, when they actually throw something across on the Internet? Absolutely. And let's you know take it a step further. I'd say you know, my advice to any network owner anywhere is first step one is follow the basic cyber hygiene is what I say. The best practices that are out there publicly available, um, NSA on our uh, public website has advice uh, on how to protect uh, uh, protect yourself from different tactics and procedures that cyber adversaries may use to infiltrate and and uh, infiltrate your network. So it starts with the basics. Um, no matter who an adversary is, there are things that you can do as a network owner to defend yourself. Um, you know everything from simple stuff. Don't put all your passwords on your computer. <laughs> if somebody happens to get into that system and gets the passwords, then everything that you do is pretty much uh, compromised. Now, that being said, it's, um, you know, we can't, as a network owner, you cannot expect to defend every possible attack vector that an adversary may have. I mean, the, the adversary is continually learning, continually evolving, continually changing their tactics based on the defenses they see. So as a network owner, my advice is any owner needs to evaluate the information in their network and configure their network in such a way that it's um, the, the, the crown jewels are in that part of the network that is most easily protected. So that's on the one aspect. Now, in terms of what the, the in, intelligence that's being produced about an adversary, 
whether it's from a, a classified source or an antivirus company or whatever, that information then can help a network owner um, make a risk decision on what, uh, how to defend their network or, or what parts of it they need to worry about most. Because occasionally you must encounter a so-called zero-day threat, something that doesn't fit previously known profiles or morphings of known types of threats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it would be good just, you know, at the at the highest level, just say, um, if I'm a network owner that has information that has data that we, we know that a particular nation state would be interested in, that has national security implications, that data, I'm going to want to, that's the highest risk, the, the data that's at highest risk of being compromised. So I need to put my extra defensive measures to protect that data and that part of the network that contains that data. And give us a sense of what it's like working day-to-day. What does it look like inside the director of operations operation? People mostly sitting at screens or what is it? Are there windows or how does it work? Oh, it's, uh, yeah, we've got some uh, big windowed building, mirrored uh, windowed buildings look kind of big and ominous and scary, but actually we're just uh, people like uh, like you and, and the folks that you go to school with and go to sports teams with. I mean, we're just normal folks. We're normal Americans doing, you know, our part to help protect America. And, yeah, there are people sitting at desks um, translating uh, foreign language material, um, you know, developing systems to uh, exploit or, or to gather foreign intelligence. We've uh, got computer scientists. We've got engineers of all types, mathematicians, uh, foreign language uh, experts, geopolitical experts, lawyers, financial analysts. I mean, you name it, this is a big place, and we've got a huge mix of skills being applied on this. And it's not just at Fort Meade. We have people um, deployed in very places, various places around the world, including uh, out in war zones. And uh, yeah, so there are people that put their lives, that work for NSA, that are putting their lives at risk, at risk, um, far beyond the, the walls of uh, Fort Meade, Maryland. So it really is so that the cyber and kinetic defenses that the nation has to have do have a convergence? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, the, the, uh, our job as an intelligence agent, we, we live in this uh, you know, electronic communications ecosystem. And then in that electronic communications world in which we live, to uh, derive intelligence of you, that meets the requirements of U.S. national policymakers and decision makers, we also, you know, we, we understand that space and we're well positioned to inform defenders on how best to defend themselves from uh, people or entities that are doing just what we're doing um, to gather foreign intelligence for our country and allies. Okay, let's talk about the information sharing aspects of threat intelligence. What are the basic mm-hmm. media by which you do that? Let's say what you discover and share with the rest of the government. It's a combination of things. We can share um, actual reports. Um, here's what we know a particular adversary is doing or intends to do. We will also share you know, through systems particular um, technical details 
to help others in the, the government and, by extension, the private sector to protect themselves. It basically goes back to that you know, continuum about intentions, um, capabilities, the, the infrastructure, and all the way to the victim. We want to provide an understanding. There's uh, you know, uh, textual descriptions of that as well as some of the technical data to underpin it. Now, the intelligence community has the eyesight work, which has been going on for quite a number of years now, probably 10, 12 years. Is that the major way in which threat information is shared among the intelligence community? Well, that is the foundational architecture that we um, use among the the intelligence community to share information. That's really the the underpinning technical architecture. Um, So the short answer to your question is yes. Well, what's the long answer? What else is around that architecture that provides a sharing well, type mean, of mechanism? What iSight brings us is the capability to integrate different sources of information you know, across the government. I mean, this is particularly important in the cyber realm um, because lots of different entities have information that, you know, bits of information about the adversary intent, the infrastructure, the intended victims and bringing that together in one place so that uh, all the different players across the, the, the government can see that and evaluate it and understand what it means, that's important. What we need to do in the future is find a better way to uh, integrate and tie in that type of information with um, private industry. I mean, private industry is doing a lot in the cybersecurity um, you know, uh, uh, production of cyber threat intelligence and uh, understanding tactics, techniques, and procedures, um, and they do a good job. Uh, and our job in the classified world is to augment what's done in the unclassified world uh, with information that we can only get from our classified sources. Now, I recall, this is a little bit of an aside, a number of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, the CEO of a major encryption company had a hack and this was a, a national security event in the sense because of how widely its products were used. And he said that the first place he called was the NSA. And I was wondering, does that happen very often? I'm not prepared to, to comment about particular intrusions or hacks. I will tell you that uh, we are recognized as the cybersecurity you know, leader in the world. You know, if you talk about um, you know, we make codes, we break codes. I mean, we are um, – and. You know, I may be biased because I've worked here a long time at NSA. I say we're the best in the world at that. Now, the Homeland Security Department on the civilian side has a big role in information sharing, in threat intelligence gathering in the cyber front, and in sharing it with industry. That's you know taken a few years to take off, and they've got a ways to go. Describe the sharing regime of threat information between you and the Homeland Security Department. I think, uh, yeah, that's a critical relationship we have. Um, we have close relationships with you know, all the main players in the cyber realm, whether it's DHS or FBI or even uh, Cyber Command. Um, and DHS is basically our, and we will provide information, threat intelligence, tech, technical data, and so on to DHS, who often will you know, integrate that with other information and to share that with uh, the private sector. So that's basically our, the, the system that's in place now to inform private sector about what the government is seeing in that uh, cyber threat realm. And I asked about industry. Do other federal entities that have their own cyber situations and 
transportation and all the different realms and domains of the economy, do they ever call you or somehow contact NSA and say, you know what, this is something we're seeing, maybe you haven't yet, or should you take a look at this? Well, we do have uh, different players. Uh, um, the shorter answer is yes. Uh, we do have a 24-7 operations center here at the National Security uh, Agency. It's actually a, a, a integrated cyber center staffed by both NSA and Cyber Command. We have representatives from different federal agencies in there, whether it's DHS or FBI, uh, um, uh, State Department soon. Um, so that is where it all comes together. And if we'll get a call from an outside agency about a particular you know, threat or piece of information they have, we'll, the, our entry point is in this 24-7 center, and, and then we'll determine at that point what to do with that information. We're speaking with John Darby, Director of Operations at the National Security Agency. And if you can, in a fairly simple way, answer a complex question, and that is, to what degree is all of this information threat intelligence sharing automated? How much requires people sitting around a table from time to time? And how much is in between, say, sending sec- you know emails or messages and other means about things that are going on? Well, I'd say right now it's a combination of all the above. I think we're, where we need to go in the future is even more automation beyond where we are right now. Um, uh, this is this is a really tough environment in which to work. Um, I mean, I'm an old counterterrorism hand, so I know when I, when we worked in the counterterrorism area area, when we detected information uh, of interest to the military, we passed it out, tipped it off to the special force unit or whatever, and somebody acted on that information. If, if that happened in an hour. I mean, that was incredibly fast, and we'd be high-fiving each other and saying, you know, good on us, and, you know, this is all good. In the cyber arena, if it takes an hour, it's an hour too late. So this whole environment, it has to happen at machine speed. I mean, as users of cyber services, I mean, you and I and everybody we know, we want fast response. If we enter something into a system, we want to see that video now. We want that answer now, and that's the whole ecosystem is geared for speed. Now, that injects a degree of complexity for defending that space because bad stuff or malware can be injected just as fast. And how do we defend ourselves from uh, you know bad stuff that's injected and maneuvering uh, through that ecosystem quickly? So it gets back to the automation. We need to have some way to integrate all our knowledge across the government and industry. What do we know about adversaries, infrastructure, intended victims, tactics, techniques, procedures, and use that information to evaluate incoming data to or, or data running past, past some kind of sensor to evaluate how bad that is and how we need to react. I don't know if that was a simple answer to your complex question or not. But. Well, it was fairly simple. I think we get the general idea. And you mentioned data, which brings up the question of data, because cyber threat hunting produces enormous amounts of data, just like monitoring your networks and so on produces mm-hmm. large log files. Is data analytics sophisticated enough at this point, or is the application of it smart enough at this point such that you can use it on all of this data for predictive purposes? Well, that that's the goal. And we do apply advanced analytics and big data analysis right now. 
on uh, data to derive the, the type of information that we need in this realm. Uh, do we need to advance that uh, skill, that application? Sure, that, that's a continually evolving skill. Um, so I, I guess it's, you know, the short answer to your question is, yeah, we need to apply advanced analytics. We need to continue to do so and build upon what we're doing right now. I see a world in the future where it's basically we're going to be in a, if you're talking cybersecurity, at the core of it is going to be machine learning and artificial intelligence. We're going to be in the not-too-distant future in a world of um, malware being injected that has artificial intelligence qualities appended to it, will detect defenses as they encounter them, uh, respond and, and find another way into a particular network. Um, those, And we need to have artificial intelligence machine learning defenses as well. So when a malware attack comes in, detects our defense, uh, and alters their tactics, we've got a counter defense. So it's almost like a, a machine speed uh, attack, counter attack environment. But that's all got to be underpinned by um, the, the data analytics and knowledge that is derived not only from machines, but from people understanding what that data means. And knowing what you know after all these years, do you go home at night after work and log on and buy stuff from Amazon? Um, sure, I do. But I also take pains to follow the best cyber hygiene procedures, how I protect my home network. John Darby is Director of Operations at the National Security Agency. Tomorrow, in Part 2 of the interview, Darby discusses what it's like working in the big glass building at Fort Meade. We'll post the interview in its entirety. We'll post the interview in its entirety at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Listen to the Federal Drive on demand and on your device at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.